Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. So we've often talked about on this podcast how one of the biggest challenges we face in farming is how to get all of our field activities completed despite the changes that we're experiencing in weather patterns. Aaron Wilson has been on and shared that we've lost about five days for field work in both the spring and the fall. And both of these times are critical for several field activities, including weed control and spraying. One technology that has the potential to help get work done when the field conditions are less than ideal are drones. And drone spraying has become a reality in the industry over the last few years, and maybe something you're curious to learn more about or may even be considering on your farm. Today, we have Dr. John Fulton and Alan Leiniger joining us to discuss the current status of drone spraying in Ohio and some research they're currently conducting on that technology. Welcome, John and Alan. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So could you both give us a brief overview of your background for our listeners? We'll start with you, John. Well, again, thanks for having us on and and talk about kind of this uh, hot topic. But uh, uh, John Fulton, I'm a faculty member in the Food Egg Biological Engineering Department with the majority of my my job being in uh, uh, with Ohio State Extension, specifically kind of in our digital ag, precision ag area. I'm Alan Leininger. I'm the Ag and Natural Resources Educator for Henry County for OSU Extension. And um, my background is, is doing some farming myself, as well as kind of the, the engineering background that I've had and uh, working with equipment, small engines. And um, now we're starting to work with this drone project with John. And I'm doing this as part of my master's degree as well. Great. Well, glad to have you guys on here. And this is a topic we definitely are seeing some interest in, as Elizabeth mentioned. So let's start off with what you see the biggest opportunities are in using drones for spraying on the farm. Elizabeth led off and talking about our working days and weather patterns and what we're experiencing specifically in the spring. You know, I see, you know, probably drones aren't going to fit into covering large acres today. Uh, at least the one kind of the spray drones we're thinking about. But when I think about early spring and, and trying to do some, quote, spot spraying or directed spraying, they really begin to make sense. Um, you know, I think early spring, it's wet. I haven't got my herbicide package down, but yet uh, would like to get out and, and do some burn down uh, in areas of fields. Um, we may not spray again the whole field, but we can get out there and get those weeds under control because, uh, we can fly even when the, the ground conditions are, are wet or, you know, we can't get ground machines in there. So the other thing I think, you know, and, and we've done some, you know, been part of some projects on is is just kind of that um, specifically in soybeans going out and, and doing some some spot spraying where, you know, it's later in the season. we got a few escapes. Um, we're going to maybe cover less than 8%, less than 5% of the field. I put a ground machine and a person out there where I can take a drone, pinpoint where those areas that need to be sprayed, uh, let the drone go out and, and get that, that done. And I think when we've kind of done the math, uh, you can do it cheaper and more efficiently, uh, pushing out, running, having to run that ground machine in, in a, you know, kind of more mature type beans. So what do you see as the main value that drone spraying can bring to an operation? And, and Alan talks about this when he presents about spray drones and automation, number one, it's just another toolbox, another piece of another technology, another tool in the toolbox, however you want to kind of phrase that out. Um, it is something that, that uh, 
you know, if you got, if your concerns are ground compaction, you got unsuitable areas of the field that you just can't get ground machines, or I got a field that's very inaccessible or an area that's inaccessible, that's where drones can really come in and play a, a, a key role in getting crop protection. We're actually talking about even dry type uh, products being applied out there too. But as far as liquid crop protection, um, I mean, you can really make uh, what, what's tend to be inaccessible timing or inaccessible areas of, of fields, you can bring a spray drone in and, and, and get that job done pretty quickly. Anything to add on that, Alan? The biggest thing is, is just being able to have that option to, to get some things applied. Um, maybe when a, a traditional ground spring system can't get the job done and, and it may not be as efficient to, to cover a large acreage, kind of like John has alluded to, but, but, you know, sometimes it's a timing thing. You know, when we're talking about fungicides, um, you know, one of the things that's really sensitive with those is that growth stage of the crop. Are we getting that product at the right growth stage? If it's rained two inches the day before that window opens, you know, this is an option to get in there and get that applied. Whereas if you're waiting around for that particular soil conditions to, to clear up and, and be appropriate to apply that fungicide traditionally, um, you may not have that opportunity. Um, you know, crop dusters, the, the traditional airplane style that we think of um, might be expensive. There again, um, you have to have a skilled pilot and, and things like I heard last year where there was really a lot of difficulty getting um, enough flight time to get all the acres covered that they wanted. This might be another opportunity to, to take care of some of that as well. Yeah, all good points and really driving home that, you know, those windows are tight. So getting in there, you know, this just gives you one more like you said, option to get in and get things done when maybe we only have a few days to cover a lot of acres. You know, one thing I might add in, Elizabeth, that I didn't think about, but that we are seeing interest in from our soil and water friends and stuff. Another value that, that we're seeing is how do I get out in like grass waterways or buffer areas and, and those type of areas. Again, typically kind of lower acreage and at times inaccessible because, you know, the train or whatever where a spray drone could be brought in and, and, and be able to spray some of those areas to keep bushes and other things under control. On the other side of the coin, what challenges are we still facing that need to be worked through to make drone spraying work on the farm? There, there are many challenges right now, um, and, and they're all across the board. Some of the ones that, that our listeners may um, right off the bat think of, and then there are some that, that may not be quite... Uh, is obvious. Um, one of the, the questions that's being asked is, do we treat a drone sprayer like a crop duster or do we treat it more like just a low flying boom? And, and that's a, a legit question to ask because based on that, we'll determine what rules and regulations and whatnot that go along with this. Right now, the Federal Aviation Administration sees these as a crop duster or an aerial applicator, depending on what term you want to use. And so they want you to have licenses, not only to fly a drone, such as a part 107 license, but they also want you to have a part 137 license, which is what a crop duster would have to have to fly that airplane to apply pesticides. Um, that's on top of then having your typical commercial or private pesticide license. Obviously, if you're gonna apply pesticides that are not your own farm, you're gonna to have to have a commercial license. And then there's a couple of different steps in there to apply aerially as well. So the, the licensure and the regulations are, are one of the big things that, that we need to be concerned about um, as a challenge to work through. And it's not something you sit down and take a test for an hour 
and voila, you're, you're certified. It takes quite a bit of time to go through that process. A couple of the regulations that we have that really are, are a challenge is that no drone can be flown commercially that's more than 55 pounds unless you have an exemption. And those exemptions are not easy to get. And so when you're looking at that, if, if your drone, let's say, is half that 55 pounds is the weight of the drone itself, you've only got about 24, 25 pounds, let's say, of actual payload to carry. Um, then you have to look at your pesticide labels. And if we're going to treat them as a crop duster or aerial applicator, there's a minimum amount of carrier that you have to apply um, according to that pesticide label. Some of them are two gallons, some of them are three gallons. Um, I've seen a couple of them that are as much as 10 gallons. And then there are certain products that they say we can't apply them at all, according to the label with an aerial system. So, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of tied with that, that rule there. The drones themselves can be designed to carry a way bigger payload and we can cover bigger acreages, but without the, the right regulations, the right uh, licensure, um, we really can't use those. So that's kind of one of the big things. The other thing we're kind of looking at right now is how fast should these drones actually be traveling as they're applying? How high should their altitude be when we're, we're flying across that crop canopy or even the bare ground? Um, what types of tips, uh, the pressure on those tips, things that we would take for granted on a ground-driven sprayer. We have a lot of documentation, a lot of uh, uh, facts and information on that, but uh, can we apply that same knowledge about ground-driven sprayers to the drone? Um, those are things we don't know and what we want to find out so that we can sit down and say, hey, out for this application, use this tip at this height, at this speed, and, and we'll get this kind of coverage. There's weight. The other challenging piece to the regulations is you're still line of sight. As a uh, operator, you've, you're supposed to maintain sight on the drone at all times. So that's a real challenge for many of us in agriculture mm -hmm. in terms of field size and shapes and and situations we get in. So is there any movement on the um, legal side of it to get some more exemptions, ease of exemption, or lessening of restrictions, I guess, for some of these um, drone applications? I think that the technology is so new that the FAA really doesn't know what to do with it yet. And I think a lot of the things that we're working on, not only us, but other entities that are working on this particular technology are trying to gather data and facts that maybe one day the FAA might say, hey, we need to rethink this. We need to rework this, but they're just not there yet. And I don't think that they want to just open it up until they know, you know what is safe and what isn't safe. I think that's a lot to do with that. There's other technologies that are even a non-ag um, type of technology that might drive some of this, um, you know, some of the things that Google's working on with drones to deliver packages and, and, and Amazon's working on that as well, or even to transport people where you're gonna have to be way over a 55 pound weight limit to make those technologies work. So this might be more than just ag that drives some of that. But um, there are some exemptions that are out there. Um, Rantizo's got an exemption we've seen and, and read about, um, I don't know, how that works exactly in terms of everybody that works for Antizo has that exemption or if only certain entities do. But um, I, from what I understand, it takes quite a bit of, of a, a process to get that exemption. And that's the one that really would make a difference um, in terms of how much we could cover, how much we could make these do. And to specify that exemption is to exceed the 55 pound 
limit. I'm not sure you mentioned that, Alan, but the 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 exemption that that they were able to get was to on takeoff be larger than 55 pounds. Yeah, yes. greater than 55 pounds. The other thing that 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 I know they're evaluating again. It comes back to safety is the ability of a one individual to fly multiple drones, and so in ag that may make us a little more efficient, right? If I'm able to take two, maybe three, three of these to the field versus one. And, and kind of time it where I'm, I've got two in flight, I'm refilling one. And so having the, that capability, uh, again, it goes back to evaluating the technology uh, from the FAA's perspective and, and ensuring safety. And, and so I think in time, we'll see some less, you know, softening of the regulations, Amanda, but it's just going to take time for the FAA to work through and kind of do their test cases and, and ensure that at the end of the day, things are, are safe and, and can be executed in a, a very successful way, especially when we get to multiple drones being flown in unison by one person. In addition to that, I think too, you know, especially when we want to run multiple drones, um, we need to be able to have like a service station and or a, a trailer or whatnot to mix our product, prepare our product, and then be able to make it so you can refill these drones and, and change the batteries out really efficient so that you can keep them in the air as much as possible. You know, that's one side of it that the folks, you know, need to be paying attention to in addition to the drone itself. You know, how are you going to service this? And that's no different than a ground-driven sprayer. I mean, we've all seen the tender trucks and whatnot, but, um, you know, being able to have a a system in line so that you can keep these moving. You're, you're not going to tank mix in the drone like you would a traditional sprayer. You're going to have a separate tank that you'll mix in and then just refill the drone off of that typically to keep them moving since they only carry. And, and in the case of the ones we're working with about three gallons, um, there's some that are bigger and smaller. It just depends on what you get. So the more you describe this process, the more complicated it's starting to sound. So what options are there for someone that maybe is interested in starting drone spraying? Is this something you recommend doing on your own or should you try to find a company that you can hire who will do it for you? And what, in either of those scenarios, what, you know, what does it take? You know, I think first and foremost, you need to do your homework and visit with some folks that may have purchased and, and have been providing services or flying these. Uh, I think the decision whether the farm is going to purchase one and use internally or even internally and provide services or do I look outside and, and hire someone, those are uh, just evaluating your options, looking at cost and, and trying to understand how I want to, to make something like that profitable. You know, a few things that we've learned just in, in a short period of time that we've had an opportunity to, to fly our spray drone and do our research is you know, you're going to have to have someone committed like any other technology. There's constant updates. There's, you know, constant, whether it's firmware on the, on the drone itself or the software that, that operates it. Um, just keeping up with that constantly, you know, monthly is, becomes important. Um, and so, you know, the, the easy way is maybe get someone to, to purchase some services and see how it goes first before you jump in and maybe buy one. That might be a, that's a suggestion on my part is, is, you know, kind of, kind of see what it does and how it works. Uh, keeping up with the technology is another thing. Um, 
just in the short two years that that we've been really tracking. And I mean, what was available two years ago to what you can go out and buy today, there's a, quite a bit of uh, difference. I mean, uh, the ones today are very robust, um, pr- reliable, just a lot of up in, uh, improvements in a short period of time. And so if I want to purchase something for a farm, you know, that's probably going to have a shelf life, you know, it could be up to 10 years, but realistically five years and you're probably going to want to buy the newest and greatest after that. So, you know, one way to, you know, keep up with that and have the latest and greatest is, is use a company that provides it as a service to ensure that they're kind of all flowed back, keeping up with the firmware, keeping up with keeping, you know, newer drones in house uh, to provide. So those are just some ideas that I would have. Um, as I've kind of gone around and surveyed a lot of the retailers in my part of Ohio, which is up in the northwest corner, not a lot of them are, are ready to start rolling out a drone program yet. Um, there's a couple of private entities up here. So right now, the, the to have a, a secondary or a third party come in and, and help do that um, and apply with, with a drone is kind of limited. I think in time that will change as this um, becomes more available and, and more drones are out there. So I, I think you might see that as an option. So it's kind of one of those things where if you have the opportunity to do a, a commercial private person to come out and, and apply it, that'd be great. Um, the only issue with doing it yourself is if you're willing to go through the, the daunting task of getting certified in all the areas you need to be certified in. I think that's probably the largest hurdle for the private operator to, to get into. If they can get past that um, and the investment isn't you know a, a big scare to them, by all means, you know, go for it. Um, as of right now, though, we, we wish we had more data and we will have more data here soon so that we can make some good suggestions as to how to get started setting these up. And rather than just kind of guessing and, and for lack of a better term, poking in the dark, as I will say um, on this whole thing, I'd, I'd like it to be where we have a, a nice set of facts and, and sheets that we can really explain, hey, let's get this set up a certain way and, and not necessarily have to be guessing all the time. You know, one thing I'd add in, and for your listeners, I mean, you're talking about up front, uh, there's a range of costs, but probably anywhere from 22000 to 60000 on on kind of the drones we're thinking about that are, you know, carry four and a half, five gallons. So that's just your upfront investment to get the drone and all the, the goodies to make it operate. You know, that doesn't count a, a tank, a truck trailer those kinds of things to get it to different fields and and reload it and stuff but uh, cost is definitely a consideration have you guys looked at how it compares to buying a spray rig or is it too early to do that work it's almost an apples to oranges comparison at this point in time only because i don't know that you're going to get a spray drone one spray drone anyway to be able to cover the acreage that a 120 foot wide boom sprayer with a thousand gallon tank will. I mean, those will just do circles around us at this point in time. Um, may that technology develop so that we can compete with that? Possibly. Um, that's not necessarily where we're at today with that. So it, it would be you know interesting to look at that over time. Like I said, I, I don't like to look at it as a replacement for that technology. I like to look at it as, a, as another tool, like John said, tool in the toolbox. And, and whatever that operation is that you need, maybe the drone will work better for that one. Um, whereas, you know, if we're doing a burn down spray for a no-till field and you got a thousand acres to do, obviously the drone probably isn't going to be as good of a tool 
as your ground driven sprayer, depending on you know soil conditions and weather conditions. So a moment ago, Alan, you alluded to you're going to have some answers to these questions soon. So can you guys share a little bit more about some of the research that you have in progress and what you're hoping to learn? Sure. Um, what we're going to start out with is using some water sensitive paper. And if you're not familiar with that, they're little yellow cards um, that when you spray water droplets on them from a spray tip or whatnot, they'll, they'll kind of cover that and give you an idea what the pattern of that spray is, um, the size of the droplets, how well it covers that. A lot of times you'll see these clipped to the leaves of a plant where you kind of want to see that product being applied or the target for that product. Or in our case, we're going to put it on some type of a framework so that you have them spaced evenly apart, probably put it somewhere between 40 and 50 feet wide, and then run a pass of that sprayer across that, and then be able to see, okay, how far out does that particular spray pattern go? Does it spray a pattern of 50 feet wide? Um, we're kind of thinking that it's not, but, you know, it's kind of one of the things we want to find out is how wide it is. And then as it gets farther away from the center of that drone, you know, what is that coverage? Do we have bigger droplets? Do we have smaller droplets? You know, how far from the, the center point of that drone are we actually going to get decent coverage? So that way you can decide, okay, that this particular speed and height, this is the width of the path so we get. Um, in addition to that, we're going to kind of change out different tip sizes. The tips on these drones are basically the same tips that you're going to find on any ground-driven sprayer. can run any of those tips, no matter what company you're going to work with. And so we wanted to see, okay, using those tips, um, are we going to find quality sprayed uh, applications from those as we would a ground-driven sprayer? Um, are there other things out there that maybe need to be designed specifically for these particular sprayers? You know, we don't know that yet. And for the moment, we're just going to kind of focus on what we have. And then, you know, just knowing how fast and how high we're going to run those. So doing the water sensitive paper will be kind of the initial test to kind of get some data for that. And then um, we have several different fungicide applications planned that we're going to use this for this summer and, and try to see kind of what the, the response is on those applications from that application of fungicide. Right. That sounds really interesting. We'll be looking forward to more of the conclusions that you're able to draw from that research. So with that um, wrap up here, do you guys have resources available online, um, social media pages where folks can learn more about what you have going on um, or follow you there to see when you're in the field and what research you're doing? I have taken some of the uh, items that I've talked about today and, and I've kind of put them on my county extension webpage, which is henry.osu.edu. So if they want to find out information about getting a 107 license, a 137 license, um, of course, then all the pesticide licenses that go with that, I have that information up there right now. And folks can follow our Precision Ag Twitter and, and Facebook page and also look at the digital ag webpage as we gather information we'll definitely and i think the agronomics team webpage will start to as we get materials together and information published we'll, we'll push that out on our agronomic and digital ag web pages and and then but watch us on twitter instagram and facebook if you want to follow high state precision ag uh you'll see pictures here over the next uh over the summer, then uh, we'll try and keep people up to date. And, and the easiest way is to feel free to reach out and uh, contact Alan or I. Happy to to visit about our experiences and and you know if you're trying to think about purchasing to operations to 
just kind of talk through some scenarios where it may work. Happy to happy to visit on that. The same. Um, my contact information is on our website, henry.osu.edu. And feel free to email or call us at the office. Either way, um, we'll talk and, and kind of help people figure out what they want to do with this technology. Great, guys. We're looking forward to see what you learn. And thank you for joining us today and sharing. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode. Hey, podcast listeners, just a reminder to give us a like or subscribe so you know when we release new episodes. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to leave us a review also. We appreciate the comments.